and welcome to the Stationary Adjacent Podcast, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. My name's Justin Twyford, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Stuart Lennon. How are you doing in Cyprus today, Stu? I'm tickety-boo, thanks, Justin. How are things over in Canada? Well, they're a little earlier in the morning, and I'm just working on my second cup of coffee, so uh, you're going to have to carry the energy level today. Okay, well, it, it's been it's been a cracking day here. I've I've actually... Now brace yourself, Justin. I've been out for a meeting. Oh, wow. Oh, I've been a long, long time since I could say that, but um, we had, we're allowed to go to coffee shops here as long as you sit outside. Um, and it is still quite cool. So we were both wearing coats, but uh, I sat down and had a half hour chat with somebody. It was fantastic. I didn't realize I could still do it. Yeah, it must have been a bit like riding a bike, uh, getting back on and trying not to wobble. Well, I'll tell you what, actually, the, as I left the meeting, I, 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 was, I was reflecting on the fact that I was very discomforted because there were all sorts of things going on that hadn't happened for a while. I was wearing, well, trousers that weren't sweatpants. <laughs> I had a bag. I had keys. I had my iPad. I had a whole lot of stuff that I wouldn't normally have. And I was out and I, what do I do first? And where does this live? And where does that, oh, where's my ID? And where's my parking ticket? It's incredibly how fast you lose the ability to do these things. I'm like, oh, wow, this is all, oh, oh, I'm thinking I've just gone out for a cup of coffee. It shouldn't be this difficult and this stressful, but it was. Did you find you were tired after a half hour of actual physical contact or, or at least um, in-person contact? Yes. I mean, it's a different type of attention, isn't it? It is. Yeah. That's why I was kind of curious. I've heard this. You know, Zoom calls and Teams calls are, are one thing, but no, it, it was. I mean, it, it was really quite exciting. And I, I, both of us sort of went off on tangents, which, okay, I'm known for it anyway, but this was... Uh, it was very difficult to stay focused because it was, oh, look, you're a person. <laughs> it's, wow. Um, I, I, it's going to be quite a culture shock. As the world gets back to normal, which I, I hope it's well on the way to doing, then then I think this is going to be a real shock for people, just sort of getting back into all that. And it does require energy and effort. Mm -hmm. Much more than, you know, sloping up to your screen for a bit of a Zoom call. <laughs> Uh, you mean I'll have to actually comb my hair? Oh, never mind. I don't have to worry about that. Ah, <laughs> oh, splendid. Right then, what are we talking about today? Well, we're going to be talking about email, and we'll probably just touch on it a little bit because email is such a complicated topic that uh, I have a feeling that any conversation we have is going to lead to 15 more questions that we'll have to have follow-up episodes on. But I think it's a good place to start. And it is such a time sink for a lot of people. It's a stressor. It's something that people feel they need to be on top of all the time, constantly connected, especially in these places, as Stu was saying, of having a screen all the time that you just walk up to and check it. Um, so mm. we're going to cover a little bit about, um, how we feel about email and what we use. Uh, but first let's start with our tool of the week. You've got an interesting one, Stu. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's something, it's one of those tools that I have because it helps me avoid having to do things I don't really like. So, um, I run a couple of businesses 
Uh, I'm not an accountant. I don't use an external accountant. I use this app, which is, or, or web service, web service and app uh, called Zero. It's, I suppose it's the Australian challenger to QuickBooks. That might be where it sits in the world. And yeah, just this week, uh, both of my companies year end, uh, I don't know how it works in, in Canada or the States, but our year end can be any time. And so just by coincidence, both of my companies are at the beginning of the year. So one ends at the end of January and one ends at the end of February. So I'm very much at that time now of, okay, I need to you know pull together my documentation and pull together the numbers and, and kind of close the year out. Uh, so yeah, I've been using my accounts package zero and yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's great. It, if you spend a little time, invest some time setting things up in the accounts package, then the rest is kind of automatic. Uh, it's a lot of, does this number match that number? Yes. Tick. <laughs> uh, of course, sometimes the answer is no, and that gets a little bit more complicated, but almost every time it's because I've done something wrong. And I can, I can sort of trace it back and go, aha, that's a plus, not a minus. So yeah, that's my tool of the week, Zero, a really good uh, accounts app. I use some of the businesses that I'm involved in, smaller businesses, I use QuickBooks for the fact that they are mm -hmm. so price competitive versus any of the more traditional accounting packages. Yeah. Uh, very similar. I've never used Zero, but yeah, sometimes when I hear automatic, the accountant in me just screams. It's like, you know. The hair on the back of my neck just stands up going, no, no, somebody's pressed automatic. <laughs> it's not right. It has to be right. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, what, what I mean, what happens with, with it is it, it gets the bank data directly. So it collect, connects into the bank. Um, and then for, for example, for Nero's notes, it takes the information from Shopify, the, the, the sales platform, and it, it marries those two things together. And it, it allows me to say, yep, that one goes with that one. <laughs> so for a payment. Um, I, yeah, you're right though. If you put it on fully automatic, then it will say, ah, Justin Twyford, 25 pounds. That must be for the transaction. John Smith, 25 pounds. You think, how have they managed to make those two match? There's, there's clearly a difference in the names, but yeah. Close enough. So it's not fully automatic. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What have you found invaluable this week? I have a, uh, Baron Fig Squire. Uh, I'm assuming you're, you're, I know you're familiar with Baron Fig. Mm -hmm. You've probably got several of the Squire pens. I have several, and I've got the very one you're about to mention. So I pulled this out. Now, the Squire pen is a minimalist pen, I think is a way to say that. It's basically just one tube. It has an extendable screw top at the back end of it that points out a really nice Schmidt rollerball refill. It's the same refill in the Retro 51s. I needed to fill out a form in duplicate, a, a carbon copy form. Mm -hmm. How's that for something from the nineties? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had to do some, I had to do something for the bank and that was unfortunately what I had to do. And of course a fountain pen, if you push that hard, you're going straight through the paper. So I grabbed whatever I had around. This was in my, uh, one of the many um, cups that I have on my desk. It's the erasable podcast, the number two. So it's uh, quite cleverly designed. It looks like a pencil, but it's a pen. So it's yellow with the pink eraser. Uh, and I just forgot how much I love that rollerball refill. And 
the feel of that pen is balanced well. It's just a lovely feel to it. It's a nice texture. And so I've just been using that for the rest of the week. So uh, I, I kind of needed something to use that was fun. My dog has been keeping me awake. I was telling Stu a little bit about that beforehand. She went to the groomers and they left some cotton wool in her ears that we only just found a couple of days later, which explains why she was having a rough week of sleeps. But um, I needed something fun to use, and the Barefig Squire is certainly one of those nice pens. For sure, they are. Um, as you said, they're really well balanced, very simple, very straightforward. Uh, I have, ooh, I'm going to say I've probably got four or five of them. Uh, and like you, I would normally, I would always reach for a fountain pen. But if I do have to use a rollable, It'll be one of those, or have you seen the Mark One by Studio Neat? I, I know the name, yeah. I've never seen one in person. Very nice. Uh, similar sort of thing, but... Got a good click to it. Sort of click, yeah. Uh, and they've also got a metal one, uh, which was the Apollo... Apollo something. Hmm. That's a much weightier affair, stainless steel, than still oh. cracking click. Um, yeah, they're, they're really nice pens, those rollables. I've even got some retros. Um, I think maybe one or two of the, the pen addict ones. Just one or two? Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I came to it very late. And I, I would have to say I prefer the Baron Fig to the, to the retro. Mm -hmm. it's, it's one of the few pens in the world that I don't feverishly collect. So... <laughs> I'm, I'm pleased. Ah, that's that's a good thing, but uh, especially after 2020, because I think Retro 51 released every version possible. Like every week, there was a special edition you could have bought. Oh, yeah. No, well, there was some controversy, wasn't there? Because they put out an announcement that they were retiring or that he was retiring, but left it quite open as to what was happening. And now it appears that Retro 51 will continue. Yes. And I, uh, I know, I know the pen addict boys were. Well, I, w I wouldn't say they were growling, but they were a little bit discomforted by the whole thing, the the whole way it happened. But who knows? You yeah, know, it's a corporate world. That's how things work. Yeah, it cer certainly is one of those um, things that you people probably have strong opinions on, and I don't think we should go there. Sure. I wanted to talk about uh, some advice from this week. Work the system. So. I had a big project that I knew I was going to do. I time blocked it in Tuesday. This was what I was going to do. I was going to just get on that. And it's something I've done before, something that comes up routinely, but it's a big project, requires a lot of focus. So my first task that morning was to get on and, and do that. And it's sort of a five-hour project. So it's a, it's a big project. Mm-hmm. I did not do my startup routine. I did not open for OmniFocus, didn't open my day planner. I jumped right into the big project with all that enthusiasm that you get from a rough night's sleep. Yep. <laughs> I missed some of the notes I'd made a few weeks ago on that day in my diary. So I knew a couple of weeks ago that this, this was going to happen this day. And I had made a couple of notes to myself. And I didn't remember them because I have a process and I try to keep things out of my head. And I, I skipped my startup routine. I went straight into this project. And at the end of the project, just as I'm closing things down and uh, sending off all the files and filing everything, 
I checked my day planner to see what was next and realized I'd screwed a couple things up. Um, I had to go and then <laughs> fix them and redo a bunch of work. And it just came to me that even though I have a system, I've got to rely on it. And I think that's a very, very strong lesson for productivity. Have the trusted system, but also you've got to be in that system. You know, when you, when you jump in and out of a system, I think, you know, one of the big common failures of to-do lists is sometimes you do it, sometimes you don't. And that becomes the part where you can't trust your system anymore. And by the same thing here, I did exactly the opposite. I jumped into something without even checking my system and it bit me hard. It's a learning, a learning point. Uh, have you ever done anything like that? Or are you pretty religious about your startup shutdown routines? Uh, I am pretty religious about them because I have done that thing several times. Um, I call them my anchors. So uh, it, when the week goes sideways, and I mean, that happens. It happens to you. It happens to me. It happens to everyone because of you know, who knows what. Some Something comes up, some sort of urgency. And your plans have to be rapidly remade. I was talking to somebody the other day, actually, about how I then I cling to my anchors. Because if I start abandoning my my morning routine or my evening routine, because I'm, you know, I'm busy, I'm busy, I've got to be on this, I've got to be on that, I've got to be on this. I've got, it's only a matter of days before I'm completely at sea and I've got no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, and I start feeling anxious about it. I become um, less productive because I'm worried about what I should be doing instead of what I am doing. So I'm very, very conscious about, okay, this day has gone sideways. I should be drinking a glass of wine upstairs. But what I'm going to do is take 15 minutes just to go, all right, where are we? Let's go through the, the task manager. Let's have a look at my notes. Let's see what I'm going to be doing tomorrow or the day, you know, next week, whatever it will be. And, and the reason is that a little bit of stress and urgency, sort of over urgency, can really make a mess of a system because as you say these systems will will not work if you are not consistent with them they they rely entirely upon you being consistent so uh yeah i i i know where you're coming from and it's a horrible place to be i feel for you um because yeah you sit there just going okay so i've just created an hour's work fantastic well done me that was very much my thoughts to myself i i, I might have been a little bit harsher with myself but anyway <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh, that Canadian politeness had gone out the door when I was talking to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about emails. Mm. You do email, I'm assuming, don't you, Stu? Oh, yes, I do. I do do email. It's, it's, it's relevant, I think, at the moment, partly because uh, I know you're going to reference a book that we're both reading. And it's very relevant to me because I've suddenly found myself inundated with the stuff. Uh, having spent quite a long time getting to a place where I was very much in control of my email. I quite literally this afternoon spent two hours trying to amend my system uh, to, to, to change what I was doing because it's, it's got away from me. Um, and it's all of the things that I think we're going to talk about. Some of the, the downsides of email have been, have been biting me over the last month. Oh, interesting. Interesting is your your point where you said, I found myself defending. Now, there's a start to a sentence. <laughs> defending what? I guess my, my first question that I want to kind of really ask is, is email really bad? 
email has some uses. It's a tool. I think the problem is that we use the tool wrong as a systemic societal problem. The tool itself is not bad. An email can create an immense amount of value and time saving that a synchronous conversation doesn't necessarily have. You know, just for an example, Stu and I had 10 minutes of chatting before we got onto the podcast today, which is great. You know, we're friends. It was fun. But sometimes you may not want to have that in a day. Email is a great way to deal with that. How does it compare to other methods? Well, if people aren't emailing you, maybe they're slacking you, maybe they're text messaging you or Signal or WhatsApp. So many different ways to get in touch with each other. And I think what we've got to do is take a little bit of the the conversation. How is email different than anything else? How, and when can you use it well? And when can you use it poorly? And I'm just reading Cal Newport's new book, A World Without Email. Looking at that theory, you've got a good idea where Mr. Newport is coming from. He makes some very good points about the systemic use, the cultural use of email. And basically his idea is that email is just the worst tool ever uh, because we can't control ourselves as humans. And I found myself defending part of the good parts of email that I find. I find value in, you know, perhaps that's my role, perhaps that's where I'm coming from and how I process email that hopefully are some good habits that we can share. But I certainly looked at it and said, okay, well, there are some good things that I like about email. I really enjoy, I'd say the word enjoy, but I find there's a lot of value when I go through and clear my email. What's good about it? Well, it's asynchronous. I don't have to have a conversation. I don't have to be brought out of whatever I'm working on to deal with email. And that I think is the biggest problem is that a lot of people feel they have to be constantly waiting for the email notification. If you have good habits, it can be completely asynchronous. It has a low cost. It has a low attention required. Close your email app. It doesn't even need to be there. It's easily referenced, which means you can find things quite easily. It's indexed, unless, of course, you're using Apple Mail, which we'll talk to Stu about later. <laughs> it's excellent for record keeping. I'm just doing discovery on a lawsuit that I'm working on. Email references are absolutely beautiful for having a written documentation of what happened. And it can, can provide clear information if used well. And I think that's, a, that's the key that I wanted to use is it needs to be used well. There's plenty bad about it. The, bit, the worst parts of it is the culture that it creates. It creates a culture of constantly checking, constant distraction, constant stress and anxiety of what's coming in, what do I have to do? Email creates very, very lazy delegation. I'm sure everybody's got an email from a boss that is just a forward with no comment at all. What do you have to do? Am I taking care of this? Is this for my information? It's very easy to get delegated so easily because forwards are the monkey is now off my back it's on yours and here you go you're done cc lists can be overdone as well you know sometimes especially in large organizations 
everybody that replies adds somebody else to the list and pretty soon you might as well have just put it on the loudspeaker system because everybody's reading something that perhaps shouldn't be even addressed to them. And I think one of the biggest things is an inefficient email system can lead to mental clutter and unease. And I see this a lot of my staff, you know, where they're concerned about, about email. Shared emails are particularly bad for that. We have some accounting emails that are shared between several people. Who's, who's responsible for this? Who's responsible for that? Becomes a, a source of unease for many people. So I position that the tool is not bad. It's a culture behind the use of the tool that's bad. Stu, how am I wrong? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think I, I, would, I would never say you're wrong. You're just not correct. Um, the asynchronous nature of email, you're, you're absolutely right, is great if used properly. So the ability to be able to communicate something, to get something you know, from one place to another, one person to another, potentially like, like you and I do across time zones, uh, it's fabulous because, you know, I can, I can be working while you're sleeping and vice versa, and we can still coordinate. But it also um, encourages that, as you say, lazy delegation and low cost, low attention. So a lot of emails that I see sent, uh, I look at and I think, okay, the sender didn't really think about this before they sent it. And certainly within organizations that, that I'm involved in, um, I, I, you know, I, I get emails and go, okay. So the action from this is going to be, I'm going to open Google, do some searches, and send them to you. Now, that's a genuine, true example from today. Okay, I will. I'm happy to say to you that that's not email's fault, but I think that email and our culture of email has contributed to somebody saying, "Okay, I'm going to get this monkey off my back and put it on someone else's." And you know, that's where you get the responses, like saying, "You know, let me Google that for you." I think what I used to say to my staff when I, when I saw them sort of heads down in, in Microsoft Outlook, I'd be saying, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> and if they would say to me, well, I'm, I'm sending email, I'll go, okay, you know, that's not what you're doing. That's how you're doing it. What are you doing? And if it's reaching out to a, to a client because you want to, I don't know, get their feedback on something, okay, that's a very good thing for a business to do. And I used to say to them, all right, is email the best way of doing that or is it the easiest way of doing that because if it's the easiest i'd rather you stopped and did the best and i think that email often encourages a sort of thoughtless approach to communication and effective communication is never thoughtless if you look at really good communicators they choose their words extremely carefully they use tone they use body language you have this whole array of weaponry to make a convincing case to persuade that's what sales is email is it's much more two-dimensional or one-dimensional than that mm -hmm. and i sometimes find that people use emails as a substitute for work or as a substitute for communication 
because uh, I guess because as you say, a culture has grown up of, you know, I'll just fire this off. I'll just fire that off. And look at that. I sent 50 emails, you know, from a productivity point of view, from a commercial point of view, you know, the person sending 50 emails in that corner or the person making one phone call in that corner, if that one phone call results in a deal and the 50 emails don't, then the call worked. So that's more productive. But you're right. I, th I think you can demonize it. And, I'm, you know, Mr. Newport's style is, that's, that's his approach, is, okay, I'm going to look at something, demonize it, and then give you a solution. You've got a book title to sell a world without email. Mm -hmm. You've got to sort of be on one side of the fence. That's not, it's not sitting on the fence in any stretch. Yeah, for sure. And there's no way we're going to lose all of these asynchronous uh, communication methods. But I mean, it is instructive to look at your computer or your phone even and just look at how many different apps occupy real estate there for, for these asynchronous communications. So I, I think pretty much everybody now uses Slack. You, you've got email, you've got uh, WhatsApp Messenger. Those are the, the big Facebook ones. Um, I suppose Twitter, you could sort of say is a communication thing. Only if you want to shout out the world. Yeah, okay. Uh, Signal Telegram. You know, th there's lots of them around. And they, you know, I know lot. I, I personally have WhatsApp on my phone because I know people who use WhatsApp. I don't particularly want to use WhatsApp. I'm not delighted with their privacy sort of approach because they're owned by Facebook. It comes down to it. I've got Facebook Messenger on my phone. I don't, I don't like Facebook. I certainly don't like Messenger, but there are some people in my life for whom that is the default communication. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I can't shift them or the overhead required to shift them is such that I just think it's easier to, to keep the app. You know, I have a load of these on my, on my phone and email itself, you know, specifically on email, I'm, I'm constantly struggling with it. So in the 1857 Slack, I, I posited, <laughs> I posited to the gang, look, I'm going to get rid of my Nero's Notes emails. I'm just going to have a, a Gmail account. That's going to sit on all of the documentation, the privacy documentation, delivery documentation, all of that. Claire and I will share it and people can just email Gmail. I mean, what's, you know, what's the problem? And everybody came back and said, oh... And likely your domain is already using that anyway as a backend. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it is. It, um, is, it is using Google as, as a backend. So <laughs> immediately, oh, no, no, no. No, no. If you have a Gmail address in a business, no, I immediately think scam. Like, wow. <laughs> That's a huge <laughs> leap. <laughs> Everything you've done for the last uh, three, four years is just down the, you've, you've now gone to Gmail. That's it. You're a scammer. Yeah, it's unprofessional. I don't, no, don't like it. Don't like it. Um, well, okay. I mean, first, first thing is if your customers are nice enough to tell you, then you should probably listen. That would be one thing. Mm -hmm. And because they're 1857 listeners who are the best listeners in the world, they also came up with an amazing solution <laughs> and turned around and pointed me in the direction of a domain that will give me email for basically the same price as I pay for the domain on its own with GoDaddy. So, you know, win-win. I'm going to have a nice email address. What, one thing that won't change is that I'm not going to have one. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have all email go to Claire and I'm going to use Claire as a filter. 
which is, you know, it's a very old fashioned sort of approach, but yeah, send everything to my personal assistant who will decide if what you've sent is important enough to bother me with, (laughs) which sounds terribly, terribly arrogant. It's not meant to, but I'm just at the moment coping with so much email that I need to, I need to find ways of reducing it. And you know, day-to-day running of, of Nero's notes is not something that I actually do. Okay, I do the back office, I do the finance, I do that stuff. But people asking me, you know, when is my parcel going to arrive? I don't know. I'm not even in the same country. So, I, <laughs> you know, you're better off speaking to Claire about that because she's the person that sent it to you. So email badly used or email uncontrolled, I think it is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And I think the point that Newport is making is, is a valid one. We have taken a tool that was kind of invented for one reason and used it for many, many others. And some of those are really not a great idea. And certainly, I know you do it. I know I do it. Um, and I know I've, I've done it with my teams. I'm sure you've probably suggested to your teams where you've said to them, look at your email, make some decisions about what you're going to do, and then close it. Go away and work. Yeah, you know you you don't want people sitting and working in their inbox all day, or I don't, because I think that leads to so much distraction, uh, and just propagates this culture of the inbox is work, the inbox is not work. To give you just a little bit of perhaps where I'm coming from for thinking that email isn't bad, I have obviously done a lot of work on my own email, my teams, how I set those up and how I track email itself. So I don't actually have any email on my phone. Mm-hmm. Everything is uh, a conscious decision when I open up a computer to check email. Once you start into that, you very quickly start looking at, people don't expect a, an immediate response from me. If they expect it, there's other ways to get my attention. And that's something that I've made very clear, which means that the email I'm getting perhaps is already somewhat self-filtered already. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting a lot of these irrelevant emails. And if I do, that tends to get deleted without even looking at it. So this perhaps comes from my own uh, perspective of being very, very diligent about checking, checking email and controlling my own time doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think if you if you are clear about what are what are fair emails, it reminds me going back to the '90s. I used to have a, an older boss. Uh, that time he would have been sort of in his mid '60s, and he had an approach to mail because he got a lot of it. That he would take things, and he would put them in a pile at the end of his desk, and about every once a month he would go through and he'd take the bottom third of that pile and he'd just throw it away. And his philosophy was that anything that was that important, that wasn't just junk mail, somebody would have reached out to him and he would have had that, that record of it. Hmm. Most of the stuff, and I think it's a bit like email, you can just delete. You can leave it. It will resolve itself. The lazy emails, they're because people don't want to do the work. If it's important enough, they're going to actually say, this is what I need from you. And this is why you're the person that is the right person to solve this problem. But a lot of the lazy delegation, if you don't get back to them right when they want it, they're going to 
get a Barry that, oh, well, he's not going to get back to me for four hours, maybe even till the next day. I'm just going to solve this myself because all I'm doing has been lazy. And over time, that, that sort of culture, that uh, pushback does give you a little bit more clarity in how your, how your email uh, becomes more manageable just because you're, you're not getting a lot of that. It's a tough one to do, especially in a corporate environment, but it is possible. No, I, I, mean, I agree with you. That's, um, the, that's a variation on, on Napoleon. It was Napoleon who uh, refused to answer any correspondence um, for at least a week on the basis that, I mean, clearly it wasn't electronic correspondence. <laughs> it, was, it was way back. On the basis that if he left it, most of the time it got resolved itself or the person, you know, sent a rider to, to communicate more urgently. And, uh, you know, I think that's a great approach. And as you say, it does depend somewhat on where you sit in the organization mm -hmm. and the culture of the organization. If, I, I think we discussed last episode, if Claire needs me, she doesn't send me an email. That she knows that's not going get, to get anything back to her quickly. On the other hand, in this organization that I'm, I'm supporting at the moment, there is a culture and I, you know, I, I, I say this without any uh, intention to denigrate them in any way, but there is a culture of instant communication. So there's a lot of stuff on Microsoft Teams. Somebody sent me a message today saying, are you there? <laughs> what did you respond? No. Uh, well, I didn't respond at all for about four hours. And then I came back and said, yeah, I am now. <laughs> uh, you know, again, this person actually, you know, very kindly, they said to me, well, you, you do have a status button on Microsoft Teams and, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, the status is I'm never here. I have a telephone. If you need me, call me. Otherwise, the status is off, and I'm not going to spend my life turning statuses on and off. Sorry, I've got better things to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can understand, I'm not necessarily the most popular guy with all my colleagues, but th there is a culture amongst um, the, the teams, you know, that, that teamwork is about being available for each other, which, I, you know, I understand where that comes from, and I understand the positive feelings that that engenders. But work, knowledge work specifically, is pretty much always a solo affair. Yes, we work in teams, but we work as individuals within teams. So if you're going to try and sell somebody something or you're going to go and try and solve a problem for somebody, you're going to sit down with that person or you're going to communicate with that person one-on-one. -on -one. It's not going to be, oh, the team is going to talk to you. That does happen sometimes, and it's called Zoom calls, and we all know how effective they are. It's, it's really difficult if you're not at the, the head of an organization or you're not at the top of the, an organization to, to, to make this communication work for you. Some companies, I'm sure, you know, working for you, because you've an understanding of this, you don't send people emails expecting answers in five minutes. On this uh, particular project that I'm working, a middle manager said to me, he said, well, what I do is that I have person A, B, C, and D. They're all set up as VIP. I went, okay, that's great. What does that mean? Well, that means that I get notified whenever they send me something. Right. And how does that help you? Well, it means I can answer them quickly. Okay. And what answer do you give them? Well, uh, if I know the answer, I give them the answer. Otherwise, I'll tell them I'll get on it. 
well, that's not efficient. That's not effective because you should be doing the important things anyway. What do you mean? I said, well, have you spoken to them? And, you know, in fairness, I've spoken to these very same people and said, look, if you send me an email, the chances are I'll get back to you the next day. So I, I generally won't let them go 48 hours, but it won't be the same day usually. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. So somehow this culture is, has, has, has been created within organizations. And if you speak to the people at the top of the organization, they say, no, I don't expect an answer in the same day. But everybody further down thinks they do. <laughs> it's weird. It's strange. And I think part of that is inherent with the way that email works, the way that computers have been designed to work. You and I try and hack our way around these things. You know, turn off notifications here, close down apps. You know, that should be the default behavior, shouldn't it? That should just happen. <laughs> but it doesn't. Do you think part of the problem with email is that people are trying to use an asynchronous tool for almost synchronous conversation. Yes, that is part of it. I think that sometimes people do use it that way. Um, and that's, I suppose, an easy misunderstanding. Um, when I came into this project now, I said to the, my direct supervisor, I said, okay, so you've got this thing called Teams. I've never used it before, but I'm sure I'll, I'll get the hang of it. It seems a fairly straightforward concept. And you've got the good old Microsoft Outlook, which is clearly the work of the devil. Um, what, what do you use for which? What communication is where? Mm -hmm. So why would I send you an email and why would I send you a message on a Teams chat? When would I set up a call? What is the culture? How, do you, how would you like me to work to fit in with you? And the fascinating thing for me is that one, nobody could answer the question. They all looked at me as if I was speaking Greek. And secondly, is that nobody had really thought about it. And so eventually it was uh, somebody turned around to me, somebody quite senior in the organization turned around to me and said, well, I've got 1,940 unread emails, so probably best not to send me an email. Oh, God. <laughs> I went, okay, all right. That's a little red badger of pride, isn't it? Look how many emails I have. Well, that's how it was presented. And that scared me because, I mean, A, all right, I think you and I probably suffer from the same syndrome and that we were just twitching at the very thought of that many unread emails. But also, you shouldn't be communicating that to your team. You know, this, you know, communication method that we have sort of right at the center of the company that you all have to sign into and use uh, three different authentication methods to get the thing and change a password every 25 minutes. And oh, you know, it's all terribly important, but I just don't read it. Oh, okay. Well, you know, can I get you on Teams? <sighs> no, I'm busy. <laughs> all right, cool. You know, I think there is confusion. And, I, and we expect people to, to sort of assimilate how to use all of these tools. And I'm sure, you know, in, in most companies, conventions become established and everybody understands it and you you know when to use what and when to use the other but i think every company would benefit from from sitting down and saying okay what do we want these tools to be for mm -hmm. you know do we want this to be a substitute for a synchronous conversation or a semi-synchronous conversation do we want it to be purely about fact and accountability because as you say email's got a fantastic accountability side to it 
where, where you can say, look, I sent you an email. And if you're not the sort of person that sends an email every 10 minutes, and you said, I sent you an email saying A, B, C, and D, it's there. You've got a copy of it. I've got a copy of it. I expect A, B, C, and D to have happened by the time that we we agreed. That That's a fabulous tool for that because, you know, the, the, you can't squirm away from that one. But all of the other stuff, you know, the lazy questioning, um, I mean, I remember in my previous companies, we discovered, you know, email chains of, you know, hundreds, thousands of emails that were all just people having having a lark, as you might say in England, just just joking around, which is fine. I mean, you know, that, the workplace should be a nice place to be. I don't mind that. You think, okay, well, why are people, you know, doing that on email? Shouldn't they be meeting at the water cooler to do that? I think you're, you're, you've nailed it spot on that it really comes down to the context and the lack of clarity for most businesses. When do we need to use what tool to have what conversation? And I think that comes back to my sort of defending email in a way that if it's used well, email can be a very good tool. And I guess, you know, even though I've not defined it in sort of my organization, it's just through my own use and through the people I work with, there is already that, you know, email is stuff that I don't need right away. There's a, there's something that needs to be done. It's, you know, part of that, the responsibility for delegating that or for asking a question comes down to here is what I need to do. Here is what I need you to do. And here's the accountability for it. That's email. Something that I need a quicker response is definitely Slack. We have sort of a more synchronous layer on top of that. And that is sort of at the next break. Here's a question that I'm kind of stuck on. Can I get an answer shortly? Mm -hmm. And then finally, there's the phone call because I'm still a firm believer that sometimes you just have to make that phone call to get the answer. If I'm really stuck on something, I might need to reach out to somebody and get the answer. And that's okay. You know, so as much as nobody ever wants to be interrupted, there are certain things that we do have to do. At that point, up that pyramid of ease and convenience, it's easy, It's so easy to send an email. It's a little harder to send a Slack because you know somebody's going to get pinged on it. And if it's useless, you might get a, a not-so-favorable response. To make that call, there's, a, there's an inherent barrier to picking up the phone. You've got to know that you really need something badly mm -hmm. to call there. Because otherwise, the next time you call, it's going to voicemail. And I'll call you back if it's important. So I, I think that is not just email, but that's a whole cultural system of what is the importance of the different levels of synchronous tools and asynchronous tools, email been perhaps at the, or should be perhaps at the bottom of that in terms of attention and priority. Yeah. I mean, and it, as you say, you know, there, there are multiple channels that we all use and they compete for our attention. Uh, along with all the other things it's well documented compete for our attention and I, I suppose the the thing i would do is if you speak to any ceo or any founder of a of a small business or even of a big business they don't want they don't put much value into email they see it as as a tool it's something that exists that helps them communicate but generally speaking, they don't value it very much. 
the people that value it tend to be in middle management. Ouch, that hurt. <laughs> well, no, they, they tend to uh, attach an importance to it. Um, whether that importance be as, you know, the guy I'm talking about who turned around and said, well, you know, I've got 1,900, I haven't read them. Or, you know, you and I, I'm sure, both have, have you know, proudly beat our chests and talked about, well, we have inbox zero. Uh, you know, Merlin Mann sort of, you know, pub, very publicly says he wish he'd never said it. Um, but it, it's something that I found when I was in a corporate environment that I, that I would often use as a method of procrastination. You know, don't fancy working? Sort out your inbox. You know, it's just, it was an easy way of, of retreating into myself, being less vulnerable about trying to do something, whether that be, you know, sell or deal with some sort of conflict or move the business forward in a meaningful way. Again, that's not about email. It's just that email is the touch point that demonstrates when something cultural is happening or not happening. And so from that point of view, I agree with your point about it's not email in itself necessarily but i do think that email and shall we say asynchronous communication does encourage a culture of urgency it does create that ability to lazy delegate to well just to be lazy make something somebody else's problem and it does encourage that, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. You can, and by the sounds of it, you do, have organizations that use email sensibly and correctly and positively. And, you know, I, I'm very happy with the way that Claire and I use email. I'm less happy with the way that uh, these larger companies that I'm involved with are using email. Mm -hmm. And I'm less happy with how I'm now finding myself under pressure through volume of email. Those are things that I need to be working on. And as, as you predicted at the start of this, <laughs> this episode, they may in, in, their, in themselves be an episode just of how to, to actually manage inboxes and uh, different accounts and different modes. These are things that, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with right now. And to the extent that writing the show notes this afternoon led me to go and download email clients and move accounts and you know, <laughs> do all sorts of things to try and, and rectify some of my problems. So it's very much live for me. So, so what are you using at the moment? Maybe that gives everybody a little bit more idea of where, where your processes are coming from. My intention uh, for the last couple of months has been to have uh, jobby job stuff on a laptop um, and an Android phone and to have creative jobby job and personal stuff on my apple kit so very much spread apart on windows and android everything on outlook so sort of the microsoft way if you will so microsoft teams microsoft outlook let's go Ugh. yeah on the creative things um i've got i've got pretty much every email client that's ever been invented but i had recently had everything being forwarded into hey uh hey email hey.com Mm -hmm. and managing it from there. Now, first of all, there's a forward there, and that's never a good thing in email. That's always going to cause you problems. You, you, you pay for that later. But I, I really like Hay's approach to email, which in, in, in itself is, a, is an episode. Hey. 
Hey, <laughs> what I then found myself doing though was using the iPad as a bridge between the two systems, um, which was not my original intention. And what I found myself getting frustrated with is that I'm sitting here at my Mac. I need to check something on the jobby job. Oh, I need to get up, go across the room to my standing desk where my laptop is, open that up, do all sorts of authentication nonsense. Uh, and it, it was becoming less efficient, not more efficient. Uh, I was hoping for a sort of focused existence, but the reality is that, that I don't work like that. Mm -hmm. What I've now done is brought Outlook onto the Apple kit as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take a more sort of, you know, app-based approach rather than hardware-based approach. What about you? What do you do? So I'm, I'm already there with the app-based approach uh, for a lot of my ways. When I set up my work, I was trying to figure out what the best way to work my my profiles, how I'm going to do this. Because I had thought about, okay, am I going to set up a, a separate Apple profile on this computer that's just for jobby job stuff? Uh, but then I have tools and automations that I can use in various ways. So it didn't actually seem to make sense to me. So my jobby job stuff, I have I actually have four email clients, believe it or not. My personal stuff, my main personal email account that gets everything is on Apple Mail. I've got that on a couple of different computers, so I've got a little bit of redundancy there, uh, but I don't have it on my cell phone. It's, it's completely computer-based. I tried Hey, and I think we'll probably have to have a Hey episode at some point because we both have feelings. I know you went back to it. I went there, I was really, really excited with it, and then certain things drove me nuts. I kind of went away from it. But what I found I ended up doing was recreating a lot of Hayes rules with a series of Apple filters and, and rules that get applied when my email comes in. Mm -hmm. And that's really, I've recreated Hay in Apple Mail, yep. which probably is not the cleverest thing to do, but that's fine. Uh, I have a separate, I use Spark. Uh, have you ever tried Spark? Yes, yes, I like Spark, um, particularly around the mm -hmm. sort of personal side of things. It's quite, it's quite a playful app. Yeah, I have all of my project emails. So every podcast, every website, I have an email for it. Uh, and that is all set up in Spark. That way I can check that. And it's, it's not personal stuff that I actually want to read. It is a, a list of, I can't protect that as much. I, you know, people from the internet can send me all kinds of emails. Mm -hmm. Some of them comments, some of them, you know, they are uh, traditionally synchronous. And I wanted to keep that separate. Uh, so I've got half a dozen or so emails in there. And that works as a very good container that here, I'm going to go in and check that. And I know that I'm going to be working on this series of I set aside that cognitive shift. This is what I want to work on at that point. Keeps it very well uh, isolated. Mm -hmm. uh, I have Outlook for the traditional jobby job, job stuff. And then I have a, an app called Canary Mail. And Canary Mail is for some of my team's shared emails. They all go in there. Mm -hmm. There's stuff that I don't want to see unless I need it for reference. And so I have that rather than going into a Gmail 
uh, window and trying to look at uh, find things on Gmail, which the the idea of uh, a browsered um, email is horrific to me. The Canary Mail is sort of my reference. It, it has copies of everything. It's great for search. Uh, it's included in setup, so uh, it's it's really good for that. Uh, but I actually have those, and I still have. Hey, because I still haven't um, canceled that yet for the year. My year is not up. I prepaid for the year. Mm -hmm. I still have the Hey app on there as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, each one of those is compartmentalized for a very particular process. I can get up on a weekend and I can check into my personal email and I don't see what's on my work email. And that's very, very important to compartmentalize like that, especially if you're using mm -hmm. your own equipment or your blending equipment, bring your own device type of work agreements. It's really good to have everything separated. Yeah, I agree. And that's that's where I was hoping to get to with the, with the separate devices. But I've been so long now working off, you know, uh, when you own, when you own your own business, then your, your, your personal device is the work device. And now trying to, I suppose, go back in time and say, okay, this is my work phone and I'm going to, I'm going to leave it off at the weekend. I, I can't do it. I, I just can't bring myself to do it. Particularly in a country where most of the year I'm wearing shorts two two big smartphones. I mean, I'm very soon going to, going to weigh myself down too much. You know, I don't, I don't carry bags around in the summer. It's hot. So, um, I think I'm going to move back into, you know, one set of hardware, but as you say, compartmentalize on the software side and use different apps so that I can stay away from, from certain things. <laughs> and I'm also questioning how I'm it, whether Hay is going to work for me longer term, as you said, we will cover that in, in a different, uh, episode, but, uh, compartmentalization on the software side, I'm still convinced that on the hardware side, I think gradually I'm, I'm, I'm just gravitating back to my Apple kit. So that makes it a very expensive, uh, experiment for you. Yeah. I mean, I dare say there'll still be some value to be had uh, on the resale market or indeed, you know, the, the passing on market, but you know, I have to, I suppose both you and I have, have looked at these different things and invested in different elements and different software and hardware and gone, eh, it's not quite right. To do apps, anyone? <laughs> well, it's, you know, what can I say? I, th I think it's been a good experiment, but I can feel that for me, it's almost finished now. I can see that I can't make that whole having two sets of computers and phones work for me. Mm -hmm. I could see a case for the second computer dealing with Microsoft authentication stuff. That, that actually seems like a good reason for having something. You know, if you're, if you're required to have connections that, you know, a lot of companies are a little paranoid. I think it's a good way to put it. For sure. They want to have backups and far too much permission and snoopiness into what I'm doing. That I think if I was in an organization like that, I would still probably have a separate hardware solution. Luckily, I've kind of got enough of my own ability to bring in my, my own hardware and, and not have that. But certainly that is one of those things that always gets a little creepy is that, that intersection. Uh, 
I was actually thinking when you were talking about that, particularly for your phones going back to one, because I know this particular software that they want to install on your phone. Mm. Uh, and I was remembering uh, the BlackBerry, which is a, a truly Canadian thing. For sure. That everybody loved for a while and then is um, unfortunately fell from grace. But one of their brilliant ideas, and I would love to see Apple or I guess even Android, but I'm not an Android guy, but they came up with this idea that you had one side of your phone that was per, for personal mm -hmm. and one side of your phone that was for corporate type work. And the two of those were almost mini operating systems in themselves. They were not connected. So you were toggling from one to the other. Mm. And I think there's really in this day and age, a fantastic case for that ability again to switch over with just a, a swipe to say, okay, now I'm in, oh, look, here's my outlook and all my business stuff. And if I flick the other way, here's all my personal stuff. I, yeah, you're absolutely right. We're doing that somewhat manually with all the different applications. It's, it's just a thought. Apple, if you're listening, um, you can send me a royalty for the idea. <laughs> And now I'm going to fire back one of your, your own questions to you now. You, you've written here, are you a filer or a searcher? Which is a great question. Are you a filer or a searcher? So I am a filer. I have a fairly intricate system. And I think I mentioned this before when we were talking about our GTD, that I used to have 43 different folders that I would use as my tickler file under the GTD system back in the early 2000s, you know, a, a digital version of the printed file that David Allen came up with in his 2001 book, uh, just when that became sort of untenable. I still like to have things somewhat organized. Again, I'm dealing with different businesses. I'm dealing with very different aspects of that. And to have them largely organized by the way I think helps my retention and avoids clutter. I do search still, but I find that so many of the search items are two, three, four attempts at refining to get to the right email. That it's very, it's, it's much quicker for me to go into, I know this should be in one of these two files and I will take a look for it. But, and, and that was part of my challenge with, hey, to be honest with you, is you had to be a searcher for that. And the killer was, uh, Hayes, if you deleted an email, you could not search it anymore. It didn't show in their search. All right. Okay. And that threw me for a loop when I needed something. Uh, I needed to refer to something that I had previously uh, archived and couldn't get, couldn't get it into the search. Uh, how about you? Are you a filer or are you a searcher? Used to be a filer. Um, so, uh, I'm not sure I had 43 folders, but no, probably not far off. And, uh, I use, once I got into the world of Apple, there are some apps that search really well. I mean, Spark's really good for search. I've always found, but Apple mail was good and then wasn't so good. I think right now it's probably in a not so good sort of zone, but I have, um, you might have it as well. A little a utility called Mail Steward, have you come across that? No. Where you can, uh, it, it backs up all of your mail into a, a big database. Mm. So I've got a huge database of all my mail going back for you know, time immemorial, where the search is amazing. It's a full searchable database. So you can search by you know commas if you want. 
And everything sort of sat there and I got very, I was, I, lo- I love that. You know, it's all there. I can find emails from 2009. It's amazing. It's brilliant. It's great. But I never, ever, ever look anything up in it. <laughs> so, so at that point I started going, okay, maybe I just need to, to sort of go with the flow and be a searcher and just, you know, let things drop into archive, sort of the Google stroke Hayway. Uh, and if I need to find them, I'll find them. Um, and I have to say that generally speaking works for me. So I'm probably drifting more towards becoming a searcher. Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to look up that uh, mail archive software. Yeah, mail steward. Yeah. I use something called Hudaspot, uh that is a search for files and content. Uh-huh. So I can search all of my different emails on my Mac from one thing and I can specify, is this a file? Is this a type of file? Is this an email? And it does a very good job of that. But uh, yeah, for the most part, especially for the jobby job, I have sort of organized buckets and, and that works well for me. Uh, so if you're not, a, if you're a searcher, and I'm, I'm going to dread asking this question. Mm. Do you go to inbox zero? Uh, yes, I do. I, with Hey, as you know, it's a little bit harder. That doesn't really exist because mm-hmm. uh, once you've looked at an email, it's sort of automatically not in your IM with an M box anymore. It sort of just drops into a previously seen section and you can't really move it from there, to be honest. But for, you know, all of my Outlook stuff, I try to be. I've been sort of, as I say, just experiencing some some sort of new, it's an email system I don't control, mm-hmm. which is quite new for me. I, mean, I haven't been there for a while. And so I've been getting a load of shared emails coming in at me enough, you know, eventually sort of said to people, why is this coming to me? And everybody goes, well, because it goes to everyone. <laughs> okay, it doesn't come to me anymore. <laughs> Um, just, I'm sorry, if you can't give me a reasonable reason I should have it, I'm not having it. So, you know, tr- trying to battle my way through that, but generally speaking, yeah, I do zero just because I think it's that, it's that clear space of going, okay, I know where everything is. Now, anything that's sitting in my inbox is something that I haven't yet dealt with. You know, I, I get them out, get them out, get them out. Uh, and I have maybe one or two little folders that I've set up just to say, okay, those are things that. I can't quite deal with yet. So if you don't, I've put them in a, in a place where I can find them. And I use flags and that type of thing. Oh, that sounded like an email right there. I don't know what that was. I mean, I say everything in this room has, has got do not disturb set on it. And yet <laughs> something is beeping at me. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, I sp- it could be my wife, actually, because I know she's expecting me to go and pick up uh, dinner in, in approximately eight minutes. So I, best, best I don't delay. I take it you're an inbox zero man. I am definitely an inbox zero. Part of my shutdown routine is to clear stuff out. And an inbox zero doesn't mean that you dealt with all of your email. It means that I've looked at it and I've put it in the right place, whether it's in a to-do task, it's in a review folder. I have a few review folders for emails that I need to respond to that are not that important that I want to spend that time on it. I'll do that. I batch my emails together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got one that is for task manager stuff. I've got one that's for follow-up things that I'll review on a weekly basis that I might need an answer for that. I, it's not particularly urgent. It's a, asynchronous, 
that I want to remember, oh, I need to follow up on this. Mm. Uh, Samebox does a great job of that. But if you have as, e- as many email accounts as I do, it gets awfully expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just closing down my Samebox for exactly that reason. Hey, had some of the potential for that, but uh, didn't quite get there with some of the other things that I wanted to do. Everything is dealt with, at least it's filed away, not dealt with. It is put into a place where it's going to get the correct attention when I need, when I have time and I have energy and when that particular thing needs an answer. Not necessarily because it's in my inbox, I'm reacting to it. It's just, I put it in somewhere where it will get the right attention at the right time. And the way to do that is just inbox zero for me. Uh, which is why I have shared emails are much, much harder for that. And that's why I have compartmentalized a different app for those. That is a messy, ugly app. I don't look at it for anything other than to scan it, realize anything in there that I need to look at, but it's not something that I'm worried about. That's another responsibility. But my own personal emails where anything that is addressed to me, it's uh, luckily I don't get a lot of these uh, information to all emails from everybody, but, uh, those would just go uh, delete key is very, very quick for things like that. That's all I'm saying. Yes. I'm a liberal user of that key. Yeah. Uh, quickest, quickest way to scroll through your email is with your finger over the delete key. Yep. I agree. All right. Any takeaways for people to use email? Yeah. I, f- I feel, I feel unqualified to give too much advice cause I'm struggling myself right now. However, I think what I would say is put email in its box. You control it. It shouldn't control you. And um, I appreciate that this is, you know, old, old wisdom, but do what you need to do with email and close the client. Go off and do something else. If you leave the client on, then all day it will try and drag you away from what you're trying to do to what somebody else thinks you should be doing. And that's nowhere to work. Mm -hmm. My thoughts on this would be there are people in jobs that feel that they have to be responsive. I was uh, talking to a colleague at work about this the other day. He's in a sales role. He's concerned that if he doesn't get back to his customers, that he may lose a customer. And, And that's an awful place for him, I think, to be in because he's going to be feeling that stress, that anxiety, you know, of checking his email every six minutes or whatever that uh, statistic is that uh, Cal Newport was talking about. And I said to him, you know, find a level that you would be comfortable with. If I reply to somebody within 25 minutes, half an hour, and shut down your email just for half an hour at a time and see how many emails really come back as a problem that you didn't get back to me within this amount of time. And I think it would be significantly less than the pressure we put on ourselves because people sending you an email don't expect asynchronous responses. They know there's going to be a delay. Find that gap and push it a little bit. If you can get away with half an hour, do that for a couple of weeks, push it to 45 minutes, push it to an hour. If you've just cleared up an hour of your time for quality time blocking, you're going to get so much more done and it's going to be so much more relaxing for you. So that would be my suggestion. See what you can do to push back your comfort level of how often you check your email. 
it's hard, especially in some corporate jobby jobs. Good advice. Where can people find you on the internet, Stu? Uh, you can find me at stuartlennon.com or nerosnotes.co.uk or on Twitter at Stu Lennon. And you can find us both at Stationary Adjacent. That has links to our personal sites. You can find me at justintwyfer.com. My writing about stationery is writeexperience.com. Next topic, we're going to talk about Pomodoro timers. Some good reasons for that. I'm not sure if you use one, Stu, but uh, we better break out our tomatoes or glass, depending on what you've got. And we'll talk about that next time. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.